You may be seated. I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 12, um, verses 1 and 2. And I'm going to um, be reading from the New Living Translation. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So according to this scripture, you have to learn to know God's will for your life. And that only happens after you allow God to transform you into a new person. And that happens... By changing the way that you think. But none of that will happen if we are copying the behaviors and customs of this world. So today I want to teach about counterculture. Counterculture. So there's a f- quite a few actually dif- different definitions of culture out there. One is patterns of human activity and the symbolic structures that give such activities significance and importance another is all the ways of life including arts beliefs institutions of a population that are passed down from generation to generation it has been called the way of life for an entire society it includes codes of manners dress language religion ritual these definitions i just read are from the boston university school of public health so then counterculture, according to Wikipedia, is a culturally from those of mainstream society. And every country and nation has its own culture. Although there is much assimilation going on pretty much through the whole world due to technology. Um, when we went to Ghana a few years ago, we visited a village that was actually on the water, built on the water on stilts and it was seemingly in the middle of nowhere and it took us I don't know a good hour to get there and we had to have guides in canoes that took us there and so when you got there it was like you step back in time like you're in a completely different time in like primitive world the entire village is built on stilts and they have like boardwalks and sidewalks that are all built of these same wooden poles the houses are built of made of the wooden poles and it felt like the whole community was just untouched by the rest of the world until you started walking through the village and you would look through in these huts made of wood poles you look through the windows and the doors there's big screen tvs there's people on iphones and it was, it was so ironic. It was just like the rest of society, but in the middle of nowhere. They had just received electricity a few years before we had visited there. So it was like two extremes in the same place. It was a crazy experience. Within countries and nations, 
States have their own cultures. Cities have their own cultures. Churches have a culture. And you, your family, your home even has its own culture. So what do we do with culture? Because we're completely surrounded on all sides with culture of living in Watertown or Brookings or wherever else you live and the culture of South Dakota and even being part of the upper Midwest of the United States. Thanks to technology, we are completely bombarded with culture of this world every single day. There's no escaping it apart from maybe living in a cave in the backwoods somewhere by yourself. But I dare say it would even find you then. But then the scripture never commands us to completely cut ourselves off from the world. We must live in the context of our culture. We have to live in the context of our culture. For some silly example, I was just in Florida last week. The weather was awesome, and I was wearing my sandals. How foolish would it be if I decided, you know, I really enjoyed wearing my sandals last week. And even though I'm coming home to South Dakota, I'm just going to keep wearing my sandals because I don't like wearing boots. And I can just wear my sandals. I mean, I can do that if I want, but we all know how that's going to turn out and how ridiculous that would be. And I probably wouldn't have any toes left when summer came around and I actually could wear sandals. And that's just a simple or silly, simple and silly example, but you can't completely reject the context in which you live. The Israelites in the Old Testament, they lived within the context of the culture of their time. Yet, at the same time, they were a separate people unto God. The apostles lived within the context of their culture. They traveled on Roman roads. They visited pagan cities and places. Paul even quotes a few places in the New Testament from philosophers and poets of his time. But they learned the correct way to live in the world. I'm sure we've all heard the phrase, live in the world, but not of the world. Be in the world, but not of the world. So the question is, can you live in the context of culture without conforming to the culture? We have to learn to live in the context of our culture, but we reject any values of the culture that do not align with the word of God. The word of God is our standard. So yes, I may live in this world. I'm an American. I'm a South Dakotan. I drive a van because I have three kids. I talk like a northerner. I drink Onyx coffee. I live in the world. I love charcuterie boards, even if they're popular trend right now. And I like to shop at Target. But my ultimate standard is the word of God. I live in this world... But the, any values of this world that do not align with the word of God, I reject them. I accept everything that this book tells me. I do not accept everything that the world tells me. And above Watertown culture, above being a South Dakotan or American, above the culture of our country, I am going to align myself with the kingdom culture. I'm going to live in kingdom culture. I align myself with God's kingdom and its values, and I release my hold on any values of this world that do not line up with his kingdom. I have a loose grasp on this world, 
and a firm grip on the word of God. If I need to let go of something from this world, fine, because I'm only holding on to it loosely anyway. It's no loss to me. Paul says in Philippians, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. But don't ask me to let go of anything in here. Because if I let go of this, then I've got nothing at all. And you see all throughout the Bible that God speaks in the context of culture. The vision of the culture in which they lived. Just like God speaks to us. He doesn't speak to us in the culture of ancient Israel, because that wouldn't make sense to us. Now, I mean, it, it's good to study the culture of ancient Israel because it makes the Bible come alive more, but God does not speak to us in that context. He says truth transcends all time and all culture. It always stands, it will always stand, and it doesn't change. Cultures change, trends change, styles change, times change. But Isaiah says, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Now, when we go about building a church culture, the Bible should be, once again, our ultimate standard. We still live in our community. We still live in the context of our community. That's why each church has its own pastor, needs its own pastor, who is spirit-led for that community. That's why we can't look down at other churches in other cities if they don't do all the same things that we do. Now, I'm obviously not talking about biblical principles because every church in every community has got to live by the word of God. But every town and every city has its own strongholds. And that's why every town has its own pastor who is hearing from God for those people in that town, in the context of the culture of that town. Our church culture should be built around the book of Acts because that's the blueprint for God's church. Now we can say that we're a book of Acts church and we can clap, we can get excited, but I don't want to just throw around the term apostolic and not see the things that they saw and not behave the way that they behaved. The apostles were spirit-led for their time, for their day and age, and for their culture, just like we should be. Apostolic culture looks like Acts 2, 42 and 47. says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together. And they had all things common. They sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Apostolic cultures, Acts 3, 6 through 8. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and received, and lift him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Acts four thirty one through 35. When they had prayed, 
the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of things which possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. I don't know if America's ready for that kind of apostolic culture yet. Acts five fourteen and 16. Believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. We can keep going. In Acts 6, they anoint seven men to work in the ministry so the apostles can give themselves to prayer and the word. In Acts 8, Philip gets transported by the Spirit to baptize someone in the middle of the desert. In Acts 10, Cornelius has an angel visit him and Paul has a, or Peter has a vision. In Acts 12, James is killed and Peter is delivered from prison by an angel. In Acts 13, the church sends out Paul and Barnabas to be church planters. In, in chapter 16, Paul receives a vision to go to Macedonia after the Holy Ghost forbids them from going to Asia. In chapter 18, God talks to Paul in a dream and Priscilla and Aquila teach Apollos a Bible study. In Acts 21, Philip's four daughters are prophesying and there's a prophet named Agabus who is traveling to churches. And these are just a few things from the book of Acts that are a part of apostolic kingdom culture. We have to ask ourselves, how often are these things occurring here? These are not just things that happen in the context of the apostles' culture. These are things that are in the kingdom of God, and they rise above culture. They rise above time and the place in which we live. And we can see these things happen in South Dakota if we want to. We have the same Holy Ghost that the apostles did. The evidence that we are truly an apostolic church is when people have all things common. It's when we can sell things to give to needs. It's meaning shake buildings. It's when the word of God is spoken in boldness and people are anointed to the ministry of the church, which frees up the pastor to focus on prayer and hearing from God. The evidence is when God speaks to you about what city you should go to and what city you should stay away from. It's when we have regular visions and dreams that bring direction. It's angels delivering messages and opening jail cells. It's daughters who have the gift of prophecy. It's churches in homes and making disciples. The apostles' context was not completely church buildings. Yes, they did go to the temple, but they also were on the streets. They were out throughout towns, and they were in homes. A true apostolic church is not limited by a church building. An apostolic church has active apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, all working together and submitted one to another to see the kingdom of God advance. An apostolic church has a spirit of unity, not just the absence of fighting, everybody's getting along, but unity in mind, 
and in spirit. That means we are all pushing for the same things. We are all praying for the same things. We are all believing and expecting the same things. We are submitted one to another, and we are for one another. The gifts of the Spirit flow freely in an apostolic church. Jesus demonstrated what the kingdom of God looks like when he came to this earth. Basically, his ministry on earth consisted of prayer, teaching, equipping disciples, and miracles. That was it. Seemed to be pretty effective. Seemed like a good model to follow. Prayer, teaching, equipping disciples, and miracles. So if that's the model we're going to follow, then the gifts of the Spirit need to be in regular occurrence. Now, when I was preparing for this lesson and praying through this part, this is, this is the part I felt the most resistance, and I felt such a spirit of fear attached to it. Fear of misusing the gifts. Fear of operating in that realm of the Spirit that's going to ca- maybe cause you to, like, go off on the deep end or be super spiritual or be led astray. And and I can admit that it it can be easy to have that kind of a fear when you read a verse like in Matthew chapter 7. It says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now that the answer to that does not mean that you throw out the many mighty works. And stop prophesying and casting out devils. The answer to that is relationship. You do not have to choose between miracles, signs, and wonders or being saved. We need both. It's not either or, either or, it's both and. And the remedy to this fear is humility and surrender, which is pretty much the remedy to all things. As long as we are daily submitting ourselves to God and staying hidden in humility, we do not have to fear. We can trust his love for us because perfect love casts out fear. God does not want you to fail. His love for us is great. As long as we stay in relationship with him and submit ourselves to him, he will always check our motives and he will always work on our character as a loving father. Not as a jerk, as a loving father. He is checking our motives and he is purifying our character. He gives gifts to his children Because he loves them. And then he teaches them how to handle them and how to operate in them. But we also need to change the culture. Because if we don't make such a big deal about the gifts, if they were just normal occurrences that didn't shock us, I don't think we would have to worry about fear taking over. People who operate in the gifts of the Spirit are not super spiritual celebrities. They are ordinary people who have learned how to yield themselves to the Holy Ghost. This is what we are being, we are focusing on building this in our children of this church. And many of them are beginning to operate in the gifts already. They should be trained. They should be aware of them. 
but not praised when they operate in them. Encouraged? Yes. Praised? No. They should be expected. Gifts of the Spirit are expected. Change the culture. The miraculous is expected. Can we all just say that together? The miraculous is expected. Change the culture. The gifts are expected. Miracles are expected. Spirit-led connections are expected. Angelic help is expected. God speaking prophetically to his church is expected. Let's stop being surprised. Now, I'm not at all suggesting that we lose our reverence and awe for the things of God. But neither should we put the things of God on some pedestal that's too high and mystical that we only get a few glimpses of it here and there. When we do that, we rob the next generation of experience. Just say I'm apostolic. I want to be truly apostolic. So I'm not going to be surprised when you're used in the gift of faith. I'm not going to be shocked when you speak a word of wisdom. I'm not going to be surprised when God gives you a vision, shows you someone who's hungry, and then you go get a Bible study going with them. I'm expecting that to happen. You're not going to shock me when an angel comes to your house and visits your family. I'm going to rejoice with you when you pray for someone and they come out of the wheelchair. I'm waiting for it to happen. I'm going to celebrate with you when a cancerous tumor falls off, someone you pray for. I expect it. We expect this to happen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just receive that right now, God. I expect the miraculous, Lord. I expect the miraculous. My faith is not in me, God. It is in your word. It is in your spirit. It is in your power, God. I expect it, Lord. I release it in this house in the name of Jesus. Release the working of miracles, Lord. Release it in this house. In Jesus' name, I pray. Receive it right now. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. We do need to know what the culture of our city is, specifically the strongholds. What are prevalent thoughts and beliefs in our city? What entertains people? What are the demographics? What addictions and behaviors are the most common? Because Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that we should not be ignorant of Satan's devices. It's not enough to just bind the enemy. And we need to bind the enemy because Jesus gives us the authority to do that. We must bind his agenda and his plan and then declare them to be of none effect. But that's not enough. Don't forget to loose the opposite. Whatever is being cast out needs to be replaced with the opposite. So we loose things into the atmosphere. But then that's not even enough. Because then we need to live them out with our lives. Just like Romans 12, we read at the beginning. It says that we need to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. How do we do that? Well, the church needs to live and create a culture that is the opposite from whatever the strongholds are. We need a counterculture. And this is something that every single person can do. This comes down to some very practical living in every home and in every life. It's not just the job of the pastor or the leaders. This is for the church. 
If we want to break the cycle of dysfunction in Watertown, what exactly does that look like? And what are you personally doing to break it? If if dysfunctional cycles include broken marriages, then are you actively growing your marriage? Strongholds of addiction require the church to live out the opposite, which means we need to be healed and whole in our spirits and our emotions and living a life of discipline and structure. Fasting is a great way to exercise temperance. A lifestyle of temperance and self-control breaks the spirit of lust. We cannot just bind things. We have to live out what we want to see. Counter the culture. And just to be clear, we cannot do any of this on our own. Simply just being self-disciplined person on your own does not break strongholds. It's the Holy Ghost that enables us to live out holy, healthy, functional lives, which is what the kingdom of God is all about. If you haven't noticed, there's a lot of casinos in our town. We need to bind the spirit attached to gambling, but then we need to steward our finances well and give sacrificially. There's a lifestyle of partying because it's cold and it's dark and what else is there to do? Well, then create fun and wholesome activities at church and at home. Create a culture of prayer meetings because the more you pray, the less entertainment you need. There's a culture of child neglect and abuse. How are we, what, what are we doing? Bring a child into your home. Go give a child attention. Any one of us could drive to a certain section in town and fill our car with children and bring them to Sunday school. Take them out for a meal. Children are being neglected. They are being abused. And they are being raised by electronics. And what is the church going to do about it? We need to be doing the opposite of what the enemy is doing. And we're going to equip the children of our church to be examples to our community, what anointed apostolic kids should look like. This is practical, but this is spiritual warfare. Practical discipling your children is spiritual warfare. There's a culture of dead, stoic, boring, dry church. So this church is going to have life. We're going to have praise. We're going to be vibrant and we're going to be joyful. There's a culture of hopelessness. So we need to be full of faith and expectation for great things to happen. Our church culture needs to be one of discipleship and teaching people basic biblical principles, which may seem really simple, but they are powerful enough to change lives. I know we think spiritual warfare is screaming at the devil in tongues. And there are some times that it is, but it's very few and far between, is connected to the spiritual. So we create cultures. We do not simply react to whatever the devil does. We create, we do not react. Let's change the culture from what it has always been. And let's create the kingdom culture that this city and this region needs. We're counterculture. Now, I want to challenge you. I always give homework when I teach because you have to apply it. Otherwise, it does nothing. I want to challenge you in prayer. Spend time asking God what he would have you personally do and your family 
to break the cycle of dysfunction in Watertown. Now, it's going to look different for all of us. Each one of us is gifted different ways. We're wired different ways. But there is something that each person and each family can do to personally help break that cycle. And how can you equip people to live healthy, holy, and functional lives? I want you to pray for the gifts inside of you to be stirred up. Don't let them lie dormant. Pray specifically for the gifts inside you to be stirred up. And then keep surrendering and submitting to God. And then something God has really challenged me to pray this year. And it's kind of scary. But I'm going to do it anyway. Give God access to your personality. Give him permission to strip you of anything from the culture that has attached itself to your personality and you have embraced it as who you are. Now, everybody can do this, but I really want to focus on the people like me from the north because I don't simply want to blend into this place. I refuse to be anything just because my environment has said that is what I am. I only want God's word to tell me who I am. I want kingdom culture and kingdom values. So if you can commit to doing that, would you stand? Let's raise our hands.